third Sunday after Pentecost is taken from the first epistle of St. Peter, chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Dearly beloved, be you humbled under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the time of visitation, casting all your care upon him, for he hath care of you. Be sober and watch, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists ye strong in faith, knowing that the same affliction befalls your brethren who are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little, will himself perfect you and confirm you and establish you. To him be glory and empire forever and ever. Amen. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. The Gospel is taken from that according to St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, the publicans and sinners drew nigh unto Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spoke to them this parable, saying, What man of you that hath a hundred sheep, and if he shall lose one of them, doth he not leave the ninety-nine in the desert, and go after that which was lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, lay it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And coming home, calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I say to you that even so there shall be joy in heaven upon one sinner that doth penance more than upon ninety-nine just who need not penance. Or what woman having ten groats, if she lose one groat, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it? And when she hath found it, call together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the groat which I had lost. So I say to you, there shall be joy before the angels of God upon one sinner doing penance. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. Please be seated here. <coughs> the publicans and sinners drew nigh unto Jesus to hear him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> My dear faithful, we celebrate in the world today, Father's Day. It is very fitting that Father's Day for us fall within the month of June, which is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, because there could be no greater model for a father's heart than that of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is really the Good Shepherd, and it is no accident that the Gospel today refers to the shepherd who leaves the 99 in the desert to go find the one lost sheep. It's not an accident either, actually, that uh, there's a reference to the, the woman losing the groat because there are those, com those commentators who say that this coin, this coin is uh, representative of what would have been a, a young woman's dowry. In other words, she would save up ten, ten groats, as they're called now, as they're called, it's an English term, actually, for a coin of an English vintage, 
But nonetheless, it does refer to this real passage in the gospel. Some say, as I mentioned, that the groat represented the dowry and the ten groats the woman had saved for the day of her wedding to present to her husband. To lose one, therefore, would be quite a setback. And it would have been very precious. Each one of those would have been very precious to her, even as the sheep was to the shepherd. Well, we see brought together then the idea of the marriage and the idea of the shepherd and his flock and his care for it. And we have, therefore, a kind of a foundation, even today, this Sunday within the octave of the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, of a father's role, a father's role that he enters into through marriage and the care that he must take, the care that he must take of his own flock, the members of his own flock who are his family, his children, his wife. These must occupy his care. The Sacred Heart of Jesus is a marvelous model for that, the ideal that we are meant to strive for, to care as he cares, to love as he loves, a very tall order for a mere mortal human being. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we can love. If that as much as our Lord loves, at least we can love with the holy love of charity. Now notice the epistle today is that of St. Peter. And well does St. Peter know the meaning of these words with which this gospels, this epistle section believes, begins today. Notice what St. Peter says. Be you humbled under the mighty hand of God. And how St. Peter understood the significance of those words. How he was a man who had to be humbled. A very brash very outspoken individual, but always speaking his own will, not really seeking God's will. And how God humbled him, how God made him realize that his own will was not only not holy, but often worked against God's own will. How he made St. Peter realize that he he could be as strong-willed as he wanted, but the problem was he was also very self-willed. When you have a child, a father would know this very well. He doesn't want to bring into the world and and form and give the example of weak will. He wants his sons and his daughters to have strong wills. He wants to set the example of having a strong will. Our Lord in the gospel speaks of that, having a strong will, so that when almost storms heaven doesn't give up easily, keeps striving forward. Our Lord gives the example of having that strong will. Having a strong will is not a problem. It's necessary to save one's soul and overcome and be victorious because the victory has to be not so much over the world around us, but the victory have to, has to start with the world within us. We have to have victory over ourselves. We have to have victory over our own passions and our own pride. It takes a great deal of courage, and courage takes a strong will. Now, the problem is not a strong will. The problem is being self-willed. I've mentioned this before numerous times. It's being self-willed. And that's where the father's role comes in so importantly, 
to teach his children not to be self-willed, just obstinate, spoiled, stubborn, to help them overcome that, to think of God, to think of those they should love, and to place themselves at their service, sort of like the knights of old, who in order to be sure that their wills were fixed on doing the right thing, they would take vows and oaths to God to nail their wills, as it were, to nail their wills to God's law so that they could not be self-willed. Yes, the knights did, in fact, have to fight some very serious battles against some very formidable enemies. And they had to have strong wills. They had to be known for their courage. But they were not allowed to be self-willed because that would make them very destructive. And all the power they had as knights would be used to damage rather than rather than to rescue, used to destroy rather than to build. And so it is with a father. He must have a strong will, a strong will forged in overcoming himself, in overcoming his weaknesses, in overcoming his own passions, and gaining that self-control that makes him a man, without which there is no real manhood. Gaining that self-control. And how else can he teach his youngsters, especially his sons, that virtue of self-control unless he himself has mastered that already. It takes a strong will to overcome to overcome the self-will. Well, if there's a man who ever lived who learned what that meant, it is this Peter who wrote the epistle today. He learned what it was to overcome that self-will, but not to give up not to surrender the strong will that made him a very powerful apostle of Christ on earth. St. Peter says that it is God who has to exalt us. You know, we naturally strive for prominence and achievement and security. We naturally want these things, but the real man looks to God. The real Catholic gentleman looks to God and says, I will do what is right, and I will trust God then to give the reward. I will do what is right, no matter what. And I'll be faithful to God, and he will exalt me. If it is his will, he will exalt me. Now, notice that St. Peter says we must cast all our care upon, upon God. Because he has care of us. And again, what words could be more indicative of fatherhood than that? That we can rest our concerns here on earth of those we love and those we're caring for. We can rest that on God's care. You know why? Because ultimately he is the father. He is. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to reveal God to us as father and son and Holy Ghost. And our Lord said over and over again, repeatedly, I've come to do the will of him who sent me, my Father, my Father in heaven. And in every turn, our Lord was faithful to him. And when he prayed, when the humanity of Jesus Christ prayed, even from the Last Supper, he addressed the Father, even though he, as the, the person of the divine Son, the divine Son, he, as man, could pray, and he did. He prayed as man to the Father with the devotion of a divine son, 
A mystery, yes, something truly wonderful, yes. But this is what our Lord came to teach us. He taught us to pray. He taught us to pray to the Father, to know God as our Father. He taught us that. Now, our Lord's relationship, Jesus Christ's relationship with God the Father was unique. He's the only begotten Son of God. And so only he can look to the Father, the Divine Father in heaven as his Father from all eternity, as the Word of God from all eternity. But as man, our Lord Jesus Christ could also pray with a human will, with a human love, because he had a human will. And so he offered to the Father the love of a divine person, God's own divine Son, because of the will of God within him. But he could also offer to God his love as man, with his human will. And he brought these together perfectly. In the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, they were so always, actually, so totally and perfectly united. Now, what that lesson teaches us is that we, and especially our fathers, should bring together their human wills with the will of God, even as Peter had to do. It was hard for him, but he did it. He accomplished that by the grace of God. The Father on earth is meant to reflect the Father in heaven. A Father's heart is a heart that resonates with the heart of Jesus Christ. The Sacred Heart resonates with the will of God in heaven. It's a true Father's heart that is united with the heart of the Divine Father in with the love and the will of the Divine Father, I should say. Notice what St. Peter says, be sober and watch. He talks about the adversary now. <clears throat> Again, I mean, all of this seems to resonate with fatherhood because the father is there as a protector. And so St. Peter is speaking here of the care of God and the mighty hand of God. He talks about the adversary who goes about seeking to devour, a roaring lion. He talks about the necessity of resisting him. And there you have the Father as the great protector here on earth, who protects his loved ones against all that would threaten them. And St. Peter talks about the great reward that comes from being faithful. This is a message that goes to our fathers today. It is as though St. Peter speaks to you today of his own experience in leaving behind, leaving behind, as it were, the strong-willed, self-willed heart of a boy and becoming a man spiritually by the grace of God through great troubles and tribulations and struggles and trials internally, how he had to be humiliated in his own eyes even before he could put aside the things of a child and become a man, but he did. So must every man do to gain that self-mastery, that self-control, to develop that strong will that is strongly united with God and overcome the self-will that would unite him, unite him with Satan. Even This is what made Satan, Lucifer into Satan, his self-will. Everyone who wants to be saved must overcome that 
any man on earth who wants to exercise the role of father must overcome that and unite his will perfectly with the will of God. In the gospel today, as I mentioned, we have brought together the idea of a shepherd who loves his sheep and a woman who is saving for her merit wedding day. But you notice the gospel begins by talking about the publicans and sinners. The publicans actually were the public sinners. They were looked upon as those who were in league with the enemies of the people of Israel, with the Romans, exacting tribute from them, paying the taxes and so on. And sinners, ordinary, run-of-the-mill public sinners, there was a whole class of them. They came close to our Lord. They gathered around our Lord. Why? Well, it says here, because they wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to hear him. Because he knew that what that he had, they knew what he had to say applied to them. They knew that. They knew that when he spoke, he spoke of them. And he offered them hope. And he didn't treat them with great disdain and despise them and detest them as the Pharisees did, as the scribes did. <clears throat> Our Lord spoke to them as human beings. He spoke to them with a certain tenderness, trying to convince them as a, again, a father's heart addressing errant children. And so no wonder these sinners and publicans would gather around our Lord to hear what he had to say, even though what he had to say often cut them right to the heart, because our Lord was telling them about themselves, but the things he was telling them about themselves were not flattering. He wasn't praising them. He was appealing to them as sinners, but as children who had strayed, like that sheep that had gone astray. Our Lord was seeking them. Our Lord was seeking them and speaking to them. They knew this. In other words, they recognized that when our Lord spoke to them, even when he was accusing them of sin, he spoke to them out of love for them. He was actually actively speaking, or I should say seeking them, seeking them as that shepherd seeking the lost sheep, even as he was speaking, they saw this was his effort to reach out to them, to rescue them, because they understood very well that they were those sheep that had strayed when our Lord spoke. And he was telling them that he came for them. He came looking for them. As later he would say, I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me. This is what he was saying to them. And they understood it. They appreciated it. Of all the people on earth, perhaps he was only the one, the only leading or prominent person in public life who would speak to them in this way without a certain contempt and uh, disdain, even hatred. Our Lord spoke to them as a shepherd would speak to a lost sheep, as a father would speak to a, an errant child. Our Lord spoke to them from his sacred heart. And they, they heard him. They heard him. And they came to him. They gathered around him. What could be more perfect an image than this, than the parable our Lord tells about the shepherds seeking them? It's truly a beautiful image. It meant the world to them. No, it meant more than that. It meant heaven to them. The difference between heaven and earth, it meant to them. <clears throat> so this is the example of a father's heart. And this is what 
our Lord himself shows to us. <clears throat> One day, an apostle said to Jesus, show us the Father. And our Lord said, Philip, have you not known me? He who sees me sees the Father. I am the Father of one. If you see me, you see the Father. I'm the image, I'm the word of the Father. I'm the very self-expression of the Father. I'm his own divine son. It is perfectly his own self-expression, subsistent. If you know me, you know the Father. Well, that's how a father on earth should be. He should strive to represent God as father. No, no small task, no easy task. But in all that he does and how he does it, in all that he says and how he says it, he is meant to be a sort of a representative of God on earth in this way, in fatherhood. We think of St. Joseph and the responsibility that he had really being on earth, a kind of substitute for the divine father in heaven as father, foster father of the very son of God on earth. We think of St. Joseph as a model for fathers in that regard. But fathers who are born into the world, who bring into the world their own human sons, should consider themselves charged with that special, special vocation that God gave even to St. Joseph. Because God entrusts the souls of those redeemed by Jesus Christ. God entrusts those souls to their care. And he wants them to be returning to him, sanctified, and he wants to glorify these souls. But he relies on fathers on earth in order to give these little souls that God has entrusted to them, to give them the things they need, the example, not only things they need to succeed in this world, but the things they need to succeed eternally, forever in heaven, and have everlasting life. In other words, God gives fatherhood so that men can bring into the world human souls, demand of God the creation of a new human soul in God's image, so that as there's an outward image in the physical being of the, of the, of the son, resembling the father, <coughs> so at the same time, the soul is created as the image of God here on earth. And God wants the father to give that child what that child needs, the lessons that he needs to succeed not only in the world, but especially to succeed in having everlasting life. A very tall order, and it requires a great devotion. It requires a real manliness to be a real father, especially today. When St. Peter talks about the devil going about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, you see that happening today. You see, he wants to devour fatherhood. He wants to destroy the very concept of fatherhood. He's done a good job of it. He's got a, done a good job of a very bad job, undermining the whole idea of fatherhood, even in the minds of fathers themselves. Well, those of us who have faith and know what fatherhood is supposed to be, because we have, know our Lord Jesus Christ and we love him, and he has shown us of the Father, we should 
not be taken in by the lies of the world that would distort, twist, and falsify fatherhood and make it into something weak and empty and even scandalous. We have to look to our great example, and the great example is God himself. When a father prays the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, it should mean something special to him. We all pray thee, our Father. But when a father who is given life prays that prayer, that prayer should mean something really special to him. Because he actually has a special participation in the creative power of God in giving life. When he prays the Our Father, it should resonate deeply within his father's soul what it is to give life and to care for that life. Pray for our fathers. They have an enormous task to do. There's a reason why Satan has targeted fatherhood because he knows how essential it is and crucial it is to the right ordering of the world, to the right ordering of the human soul, and even to lay the groundwork for the relationship that you and I and every one of us has to our Father in heaven. The very concept of what fatherhood is, is formed in us to a great extent by the relationship that we have with our own fathers. And so you see how essential that is, that we get that right, that we have that right real concept of who a father is and what relationship we should have with him. That is an enormous undertaking to achieve that. But that's where it all begins, doesn't it? To understand the meaning of love and the meaning of authority. And they are brought together in the very concept of fatherhood. God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.